You're now tuned into the Soma Live on Union and Metro podcast. I am Jern. I am Jer. And I'm Mikey Beats. Soma Live was an all-aged concert hall with two locations in San Diego. First on Union from 88 to 94. Second on Metro from 94 to 99. We're here to share experiences from the best all-ages venue in America's finest city. On this episode, we talk about the politics of a 16-year-old working at an all-age venue. We talk about how to talk to parents and the art of moshing. Honorable mentions go out to the shows of Silverchair and the Foo Fighters. And we kick it off with talking about how old we were then and now. Let's go. You know, I'm old. I'm like a year older than 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 me. (laughs) I used to hear him say that shit when he was like 32. Because we all felt old. To me, you guys were old. But 32, when did you see him when he was 32? I was 16. That's when you were working at Soma at Metro, right? No, he was younger than that. Were you? Yeah. I think that we were in our 20s. Okay, so I'm I'm turning 52 now. Wow. Because I started Soma when I was 25. Get out. Yeah, I was 25 when you met me. That's you what guys, I mean. We were, okay. He was well, 26. Here we go. This is it right here. Mikey, call it out. This is it. Soma Union. So I'm sorry. Soma Live. Union and Metro Street. So... We're going to talk age. Age. How ah. young we were. Yeah. All right. All right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, I was 16. You guys seemed super old. Like, well, I think uh, better in high school or, you know, people in their 20s seem older. Than, oh, yeah. Then, you know, they're not that much older than you, but they seem older. Right. And now me at 41, I, I don't even think 55, 60 is old. You're 41. I'll be 51 next month. Jeremy will be 50. I'm going to be even sexier than most 52-year-olds this Halloween. Yeah, 52 on Halloween. Your birthday's on Halloween? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it makes makes up for a lot of my quirks, right? Right, right, right. Why do you think he lives in a haunted house? It makes sense. Uh, It makes sense. Uh, All the coffins and stuff. I, uh, oh, yeah. So at 16, um... Going to all these shows, seeing all these bands, mm. um, it was interesting because it, I was amongst my peers in the crowd, mm-hmm. and I actually felt more comfortable being behind the scenes. Mm. Um, walking through the venue as a 16-year-old that worked at All Age Concert Hall, um, walking through it, um, I, you know, I, I was at home. I was definitely at home. But I would have people who would be there every single weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd be on defensive, wearing a smile on my face. Right. But I, I have to be defensive because yeah. there's just kids from Poway, from you know Chula Vista, from all parts of the county coming in there. And I felt like I had a target on my back. Right. But I also had every single security guard watching my back. Right. So I could also I could, I could get away with with really anything. Um, but and those, I never, and those are some big security guards. So <laughs> massive. I so mean, you 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 were you totally uh, were safe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, so I had to the politics as a sixteen year old in that scene working at a live venue was, was really interesting because you know I I uh, I would have to be cool with the punks. I'd have to be cool with the Scott kids, the skinheads, right? Um, the surfers, the skaters. Right. You know what I mean? Like everybody. Just to uh, not get jumped on the way going home, you know, because I only lived two right. blocks away. Um, but again, I always, you know, I always felt safe. Well, um, that had to that had to make things 
better for you. Not, you know, living so close too, you know, it was easy to get there, to get there and get back home. Totally. So, and that's, that's actually what made my parents so comfortable um, getting that job was that I was so mm. close. I remember when I got the job, my dad came down uh, to talk to Len and Jeremy to figure out, you know, what's going on. And I don't know if you were there, but. Oh, crap. I don't know if I talked to <laughs> I, I did have to talk to a few parents right. over the years to justify. But when I think about it now, it's like, okay, so you're coming down. I've got, you know, my my a lot more piercings than most people do. I'm obviously a, a bitter bitter just you know guys so i i probably wasn't the best person I, to talk I, to authority but and i was the clean cut guy in the yeah, navy and that's what i liked <laughs> <laughs> so i talked to a lot of parents a lot of parents are uh yeah i got to meet actually meet a lot of parents and they were actually happy that i was there and i and always because of the military background I, well, not not that they knew that i was in the military but they were just happy that they knew there was an adult there yeah that was going to wait for them to get picked up there was many times where I mm. actually drove kids mm. home because right? mm-hmm. I didn't want anything to happen to these mm-hmm. kids out there at midnight, after midnight, or sometimes one in the morning yep. even. Yep. Um, and there was a lot of kids that some of their parents didn't even care. We never left the club with anybody there. Exactly. Right? But with your, uh, I wouldn't really call it training. I think it's just your persona and your your personality is you just you were a lot more comfortable. And, um, comfortable with dealing with people where i was you know i'm i'm here to book these fucking shows and okay i got to deal with you and but i think that was one of the things that kind of hurt me a little bit so like when you got mikey who's his parents are allowing him to work for me and essentially for len it's like thank god there's people like you around because otherwise you know this trifecta would have never worked because I don't I don't think I was exactly that approachable. Uh, you were very unapproachable, <laughs> looking looking wise. Uh, I mean, I remember meeting you. It was Lawrence Misa, uh, who was my um, R.I.P. Lawrence. Um, he was the big Simone Definitely. security guard there. I love you, man. Uh, ran ground control. He um, he was my offensive line coach at Claremont High School. I played football. And um, I remember the, the first few times I went there, I'd see him. I would have coach and, you know, he'd get me in, make sure I'm uh, protected, you know. Mm-hmm. And I started going every single weekend and, you know, it got expensive, honestly. I mean, there's, you know, seven, five, six, seven dollar shows to a kid that doesn't have a job, you know. Or $20 shows. Right. The bigger mm-hmm. shows. The bigger shows. Um, you know, the, the, the surf release, uh, Taylor Steele video surf releases. Oh, man. I forgot about Didn't Unwritten Law play that? Yeah, Unwritten Law, um, Blink, gosh, Sprung Monkey. Um, then he had, you know, uh, all, you know, gosh, all the fat then, records bands. And then Taylor Steele actually shot a video at Soma for Unwritten Law. Right. Right, right. So that that mm. that stuff got expensive. Mm-hmm. So hanging out there, um, finally, I, I was like, I need to get a job here to support this habit. <laughs> so I went to to, to Misa um, Lawrence, and um, I was like, Yo, man, how do I get a job here? He's like, Well, you got to talk to Jerem. And I'm like, Okay, let's uh, let's let's introduce me. He's like, All right, come out back. So we you know walk down the 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 alley, Alleyway. that long mm-hmm. walk towards, oh, towards yeah. Office Depot, the exactly towards towards Office Depot. And uh, you were actually hanging out at the back gate, um, and uh, and Misa introduced us. And mm-hmm. I took a look at you, and I'm like, What the fuck kind of freak <laughs> show is this? Like, this is the guy. I mean. Right. 
Like, holy crap. Right. Um, I thought the same thing about you. <laughs> long hair. And Lawrence. Long hair. I know, right? <laughs> Who are these squares? <laughs> no. But um, but I remember, yeah, just just got the introduction. And, I mean, you basically just handed me a trash bag and said, you know, pull your weight, go go pick the lots. or you know. Yeah. Um, but then you get past that. I mean, the, the love that you have inside of you. Um, you know, again, getting back to like, you know, the, the bands coming in the, the backstage area, you know, they're on tour, they mm-hmm. show up big bear hugs and, and all mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the, you have this intimidating look, but you know, you're, you're a beautiful person inside, man. And you're a hand that. model too, which I think is amazing. You know, I am a hand model. <laughs> <laughs> so in the, in the I had to change that on that thing and Yeah. Yeah, and, and just so everybody still, knows, he was also in a music video. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. The oh, we want to go. I want to hear more about Mikey though. Yeah, yeah, true. Well, I want to. We can ta- talk about the Wild Colonials later. I want to keep talking about you guys, but um, you know, to to go back to the point with the parents, um, I I I felt even at the time I recognized how important it was to have a guy like you, Jerry, at the front mm-hmm. that that is a solid rock that that the parents, you know, can drop the kids off. Because my mm-hmm. peers at school, mm-hmm. you know, I was the the Soma Live representative at my high school, Claremont High School. And, um, you know, there's the PTA and the parents. And all these kids are starting to go to this place. And so mm-hmm. parents would actually come up to me and talk to me at the school about this stuff. Wow. Like, hey, my kids want to go, you know, what what's going on? I hear these right, rumors right. about you, you know, I'm, you know, what's up? And it's like, just come down, come check it out. You know, there's parents right. that would... I remember seeing like sideshows, you know, main stage shows, the parents in the back just hanging out, watching their kids rip. Yeah. You know, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was. That was amazing stuff. Mind you, it even got to the level of where at Union, um, I believe it was Josh Homie's um, parents that showed up. Um, David, I, I believe it was David Yao from Jesus Lizard. Oh, so um, his so parents. Kai, Kais. And then, yeah, yeah, and it Kaius was when they were when um, they were doing Caius. Josh's parents there, huh? Yeah, um, but that was the one thing that seemed to run a club and to try to do what we were trying to do. I mean, you got me. Obviously, I'm just this freaking. I'm just me, you know. Anyone that knows me knows, and I'm, I'm not very approachable, and I, I make it that way. Because of the fact that I've got so many things going on in my head and I'm concentrating on this show and I got all these fucking bands and I have to babysit all these people and make sure that this runs a certain way. And because we you know we have all this pride in it. So I'm not like a good advocate for talking for parents. So whenever I get put in that position, it's like and you might as well <laughs> freaking have Johnny Rotten just go, ah, fuck you. You know? And but you have me and I'm like, oh fuck you. So you know, with advocates like you for the parents, but you were working there. So it wasn't like you were handed any, because anyone that worked for me obviously knows, you know, the shit falls down and it falls down quick. It comes from the top right to me. Right. Because there's no one else in between. So then I spread it out equally and let everyone know that you're all fucked because I'm fucked. And everyone again, grouped together. But with you being an advocate for the people and then Jerry being able to talk with kids and then we wait for, you know, people to be picked up. I mean, we would – I remember being irritated as hell. I have a 12-pack that's cold. Now it's warm. A hot burrito that's getting cold. <laughs> right. And 
I was more concerned about drinking the beer. <laughs> but, but you stayed. Right. Right. Because it's it's a family thing. And because, so again, and because nobody else stayed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, we and also we were the last ones to leave always. Yeah. Right. Well, I, you know, I, I recall it's, those scenarios where, where we would be done. You know, sometimes yeah. we it would be a quicker wrap up than usual. And we'd go well, out, we'd see kids in the cul-de-sac. If we didn't have to load out, it would be a quicker right. wrap up. You know, if, if it was a, a, Friday, a Friday, Friday night show and right. the sound was staying, then we're all right. Yeah. Yeah, we just locked the doors. See, that, was, that was a nice yeah. thing when Golden Voice took over. They hired a Rat Sound and a, and a house system went in and never came out. Ah, so there was no load in, load out, unless you're loading the band in and say the band wanted the ad sound or they had their own soundboard. Right. That's when you have to do that Which, load in, So At some point, we're going to have to talk about some of the sound system that would come into that freaking tiny place. And God, Paul next door must have just been... Didn't he have a daughter as well, Paul yeah, next door? Yeah, his wife. He had a wife and a daughter yeah. that lived next door. Well, they but I think that's why... Our curfew was pretty much always midnight, unless we're doing a raise. Oh yeah, oh the raves were like till oh, four in the morning. So. Let's let's get straight back to Mikey though, yeah. because seriously, you got me. Sorry, people, you got Jerry that's like calm and cool and keeping things going amidst all this chaos, and then we got Mikey. You're going around and you're an advocate to these. Because a lot of the bands that were being played and that, you know, I would try to bring in were high school bands. Mm -hmm. So to establish yourself with someone, you know, like a just giant piece of freaking anarchy, me, and then with all the rumors of everyone else and, and from the old club. So by the time we got to Metro is... And this is probably really never talked about the dynamics of going from downtown from Thunderdome to Metro was hugely important. And there's a lot of dynamics of energy and outreach that was done. And the type of the type of crowd that actually showed up too. I imagine right. it got that younger. Yeah, yes. It did get younger. Yes. Right, right. It did. So, you know. Being, you know, I would call it glorified babysitting. And, you know, I say a lot of fucking things, no matter how, whatever mood I'm in. But it was necessary. Right. So no matter how you, like, pin it, if it wasn't done, San Diego would just be another bastard child of L.A. officially. Right. But, and I used it, to coin us. I think being, it would have been skips. It would have just yeah. been L.A. There would have been no real scene. Yeah. L.A. There used to be Tijuana and then Tijuana. But no. So the dynamics that go into the work that like you did. And then we'll, we'll start dropping names, but I'm not going to remember any of them right now. Actually, let me let me clarify something real quick. Mm. And when I say there wouldn't have been a scene if it wasn't for Soma, there wouldn't have been a scene. Because really, those other venues were a lot of them were 21 and up. Mm -hmm. They weren't promoting local bands. No. Right. So there wouldn't have been a high school scene. No. no. And then when Soma, when actually Soma closed down at Union, there was a big gap. Huge. Right. And the sh good shows were in Tijuana at Iguanas. Right. There was, there was really nothing going on. Right. Well, and, and, and to your point, too, is when 
back in the day of Soul Kitchen and the Showcase Theater and everything else. Everyone kind of in, and well, the Che and the, and the uh, Triton were there, but they, it was nowhere near. I mean, that's where I would go to find talent. Right. You know, I would go there and scout bands because it was small enough and I could see and I can kind of worm my way through and I could watch my back to make sure I'm not going to get, you know, all the fucking jerk and so much. You know, but you have to do all these things because no one else was doing it. So once you have, you know, the evil incarnate Soma, then all the other splinter groups can have something to complain about so they can open up their clubs and try to mimic. And that's what they that's what they did. Right. Everybody would complain about Lynn trying to close other venues down. But, hey, it was these other venues that were trying to copy Soma. Exactly. Right. And, and a lot the of them weren't shit. A lot of them weren't safe. No, they weren't safe at you all. Know, the people that were running them didn't know what they were doing. And I'm also, I'm, it I'm was a money gonna... grab for a lot of those venues too. That oh, they yeah, were just yeah, in yeah. to 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 peel off their share. They didn't care about the bands. They did not care about no. the bands at all, or the kids. No. I mean, those promoters wouldn't be sitting there on the curbside waiting for mom and dad to pick the kids up. Oh hell no! They locked the venue up and freaking beat it. Well, like, it'd be laughed at for doing that. Oh yeah. You know, you know how tough it is for some stupid ass punk rock guy with a big old mohawk to be sitting there with a couple sixteen year old kids talking about. So you skate, so <laughs> you know, and talking about you know the kids and stuff too. Yeah. I, I in two thousand, I was at a No Doubt show, actually Suicide Machines open in New York at the Roseland Ballroom. Mm. The security guards at the end of the show would take the barricade and push the kids out of the venue. Uh. So you know they didn't care about the kids. They just wanted them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was. It was interesting uh, being uh, being being in that scene at the time. Uh, you know, for the punk shows, for the surf skate punk shows, mm. the the boys. You know, at my high school and all around the beach area and all this stuff. Everyone just wanted to go in there and mosh. I mean, it was really the best case scenario for us as a kid is a safe space where we could just rage and beat mm-hmm. the crap out of each other. Um, that was a big part of the culture at the time. Um, you know, we, I was, like I mentioned, I played football and a lot of the football players would go there and not even be about the music, but just being in there, just beating the shit. The energy. The energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, I know this sounds like crazy and meatheadish, but, uh, but just the being in that pit, being in those massive pits, and it, mm-hmm. it's actually a semi-controlled environment. You mm-hmm. have people falling down, mm-hmm. being pulled up. Well, you learn how to watch each other's back. The the metro location yeah. was much safer than the union location. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, the union location was about kicking ass. People, The skinheads were in there kicking ass. Yeah. yeah. It was scary. And I feel that the security guards were the ones at, at metro that prevented that from happening. It's it's a controlled, violent Dance, exploration of musical jaunt. I don't know. It just it it, it was like a controlled chaos because back yeah. in the day, um, there was okay. This has rarely been spoken about, but probably way too drunk and yelling and while I'm trying to record a song. But there was times where I. A couple times where I actually brought Len in to try to teach him how to slam dance. Back, it used to be called slam dancing. Slam dancing. In the dungeon. I remember specifically one time, like, no, 
you do this. We go in a full circle. You can kick. You can swing. You just you know your boundary and just you freaking uh, this is what you do. But you weren't hitting people. No, so not necessarily. Slamming, I mean, you, you know, the more people. hardcore. Became, that, yeah, uh, the later years, it came where they're kicking and hitting people and yeah. doing the the thing where they're standing, scissor kicks and the grabs and all that crap. The, that's just stupid. A lot of elbows. Flame. They're flame. Yeah. Yeah, but it it was, you know, because oh my god, I'm going to date myself, but who cares? Everyone knows I'm drinking this. The first dinosaur born. Um, you already dated yourself. You already told everybody your yeah, age. True. <laughs> so all the jokes aside, but um, chips. You remember the the chips yeah. episode where um, the the bigger guy, the fatter guy, is slam dancing, and they had the punk rockers on the roof, uh, and um, I can't remember his name, but one of the chips guys is trying to show Punch and John how to like Sam dance, and he's. Well, you go like this and you slam it. And he's slamming into the lockers in their little dressing room where, you know, they put on their badges and stuff. I don't think I I ever saw um, that episode. I did see the episode of Miami Vice where Suicidal Tendencies played. Oh, man. I'm going to have to dig that one up now. But so this is is back when I was... Oh, God. So this is probably like early 80s or mid-80s. I don't know. Someone's going to, like, when this is done, they're going to be, oh, dude, you're... Freaking old, it was blah blah blah. But um, slam dancing was a form of controlled aggression, and when it became moshing, controlled chaos. Yeah, mm. it's kind of like my stage show, right? Because I'm, you know, now I become a musician. Well, I wouldn't really call myself a musician. I just put <laughs> it on my resume to try to act cool. But I know how to play my instrument. But when I started. I, the reason why I went to a bass guitar is because I couldn't, I didn't want to play, you know, my little lamb on the freaking guitar. I wanted hot cross buns. Yeah. 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 There you go. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so, you know, you, you really have the, the persona, you, you have the 80s where metal bands and the PMRC. And so, you know, when I started in 89, we're c- still coming off of that tale. Remember the PMRC and, yeah, you know. that was uh, that was um, Tipper Gore, Gore's wife, who who uh, threw the uh, bands on the records. Mm-hmm. They're rated now; kids can't buy them. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Tipper Gore and the PMRC. Yeah. Oh, I missed that episode. Oh, that was the eighties. When you look it up, it's it's gnarly. So you know, like when I was a kid, and I remember hearing Venom and. 80, God, I don't know, 81 or whatever. I'm still a huge Venom fan. Huge Venom fan. But um, so as it started progressing, so by the time I actually got into this, this is funny. Oh, my God, I just thought about this. I've never talked about this. By the time I ended up doing, booking the shows and doing all this, I didn't really go to shows very much when I was a kid. Number one, I don't like huge crowds of people. They make me nervous. Um, number two, I didn't really understand things and I'm kind of shy. So that, you know, makes it weird. I'd, I'd rather skate by myself and do slappies for an hour and then just go home and drink a couple beers and call it a day. But when I was younger, I was even more nervous about everything. So when I was pushed into this and I kind of actually brought myself into it, the idea of working with, in such an, a, a violent, 
violent, violent. I mean, we got, if Hank was here, if Henry Rollins was here, oh my God. Or Keith Morris, when we got to get Keith here. It was so violent back in the day that it just, it was scary. I mean, you, you kind of, you know, throwing the dice on what show you're going to go to. Right. So then we get to Metro, and we have people that are specifically going and yourself involved heavily making it to where the parents are like, okay, we can allow our kids to go here. Number one, it's a place for the kids to go. You got education, you got a place for the kids to go, and you got freaking talent coming out of the woodworks everywhere. What a fucking amazing time. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So to bring this full circle into you is like you had to go out there and be the the, the amb ambassador to everyone to explain that. And then you got, you know, there's me and Len and luckily Jerry's the, the calm-headed freaking person because he's leading the charge. Yeah. At the door. So that I can – so that I can run the back and get the bands in and get the shows going. And all you guys helped me clean up the freaking lot and it clean the building. Yeah. Oh my God. That Back was, off the toilets. I would be there at like noon or two, depending on the load in, and leave one something like that. 130. As a 16-, 17-year-old kid. Insanity. And and during the shows, moshing me the whole time. Mm -hmm. Where the hell is that energy? Oh yeah. It would come out. And oh I change bands at sets in between sets. Mm -hmm. Then I go right back out and yeah. mosh for the next set. Like, and you would enjoy the shows. Enjoy the freaking shows. See, this is what I mean. This is it was heaven. Mikey stage diving. Oh yeah. yeah, dude. Lawrence, Lawrence in the pit would get on all fours, and, and he'd just tap me and, and point down, and he'd get on all fours. I would run to the other side of the pit, run clear across the pit, jump off his back, and then jump on all the people and float with all the people in the front. And I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. We were, we were invincible as these little teenagers running around this freaking pit. But it was organized chaos, though, you know. So, but that's the magic of it as you well. Know, you know what's too, I'm just thinking about it, um, how weird it was from, I guess, what, 800 people there, loud, noisy. And then, you know, that's like at 9 o'clock at night. And then mm. you go to 1 in the morning and it's so dead and quiet. Mm. It's kind of weird how that, that whole change Oh, yeah. It was, like a, it was like a change in the season. Right. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the silence would be deafening. Yeah. When when the lights would go off and you would turn off the lights from the back and I'd be at mm -hmm. the front and you would just – all all you, the lights would go off. You wouldn't hear anything. But you would actually start running and screaming the whole way because you didn't want to hear the silence. You were scared mm -hmm. of the ghosts. But again – Oh, yeah. That yeah, energy, I still am. That energy is still absorbing yeah. those walls. I just wonder what the vibe is there now. If we, if we go over there and walk oh, into that building now, man. wonder what we would feel. It's a wholesale so flower shop. What it did it? I guess the vet closed down, huh? It's not a veterinarian office oh, anymore. Oh, wait a minute. So I think it is the whole building's a flower shop now. I believe we should cruise by there and check it out. So when we when we that's go and do right. a live thing, when we go downtown, because you're coming with us, and when we go to that one, and we'll have to go to the Scottish Rite and just kind of, I'll show you guys, you know. Well, Jerry, you'll remember. You, you didn't, didn't you? No, I wasn't, man, I wasn't you weren't. Part of oh it. my god! So when we go and we do a live thing there, 
What I would like to do is see if we can find some, I'm, I'm sure a band member or two, or a, if we can get a dozen social distance, we'll have a rope six feet apart from each other. Let's go vibe these fucking places out. And then. <laughs> what, the children's museum? Uh, just the old coma, you know, just. The old just, coma. <laughs> it's done. It's gone. The building's gone. It's. Coma dead. Right. Yeah. It's finally, it's. I uh, coma now. On it's, Metro it's, Street. Um, the, let's see here, the main stage booth, the sound booth, there was mm-hmm. a little, little nook or whatever it was in there. Right. Um, I remember during a turkey mallet side stage show, a ska show, I climbed up on top of the, the main stage booth because it was a side stage show and I was on top of it. I could hang out up there. Nobody would know I'm up there. Right. That was my little spot. I remember taking a piece of chalk up there and writing on the girder, turkey oh. mallet with the date. And that, that's still got to be there. There's no way. I bet you it is. There's no way. No. It, it, well, it's, it's probably all covered up. It could be. Yeah. I remember when I when You I might saw, have a false ceiling, though. When I, I saw Yeah, that, suspended ceiling or maybe sheetrock over all that stuff. It could be. Because, I mean, I they made that when when we left, everything came out and they, they uh, put in basically the veterinarian uh, clinic there. Right. So, that's, I don't know. We need to go scope it out. I drive by it every day. I, I live right up the street, and I, I drive by Metro Street, and I just, I just think about <laughs> somebody, somebody's home. Yeah, someone's at my house. <laughs> I, uh, I drive by, and I just, I think about picking up all the cigarettes. Now that's another thing that is, mm. is way different now. Back then, you could smoke cigarettes and clothes in the venue; it's no big deal. Right. You have a thousand freaking people smoking cigarettes and clothes in an enclosed space. Right. Oh, what the fuck? Cancer. Yeah, I know. Remember those shows where you so you get you got the the cigarette smoke and then you have all the humidity because every now and again you know it'd be like a day like today where it's super humid and you go in there and it's literally a freaking sauna. It would rain inside. Yeah, that's when that, they, that's when the doors weren't open and the AC wasn't on. It would rain. It would rain. So the doors had to be open and that's why we'd get yelled at by guitar techs because it would change the tuning mm-hmm. of the guitars. Yep, they didn't want it cold. Right. But, hey, when it rains, everything goes out. Nuts. Nuts. Yeah. I remember, uh, gosh, I, it must have been a Pennywise show. Sold out. I think it was like Good Times Tour or something. I'm not really sure. But uh, sold out, packed, biggest mosh pit ever seen in the place. People were being pushed out the doors and the, up the ramps and stuff because the pit was so massive. But I remember standing in the middle of it because it's like, like you're in the eye of a hurricane. You know, there would mm-hmm. be people that oh, yeah. in the pit would be going, you know, be going. Oh, yeah. Um, sometimes there'd be two pits and then they turn into one giant. Yeah. One. But I remember standing in the middle of the pit and I just remember like, what the fuck is that? And I'm getting dropped on. Yeah. And the freaking ceiling's raining sweaty, clovey, cigarette ashy shit. Like it's just fucking raining in there. From the last probably three months because it wasn't like that that often Ugh. so yeah but back then we we're all like oh this is brilliant <laughs> you know all of a sudden everyone gets into i'm in death metal mode this is what it's all about this is fucking <laughs> punk rock <laughs> but you know it was because by then the energy to make that happen was brutal i mean that that me being a musician, I understand, like, Ian from Fugazi, Minor Threat, and just, I mean, God, Ian, just, I mean, come on. But his philosophy 
and and correct me if I'm missing any any points of fact here, but his philosophy was house lights, no no thrills, no it's it's about the music, no merch, yeah. What they didn't and sell merch? Fugazi never sold merch. Yeah, they never had lights. The light the lighting guy could go home, just leave mm-hmm. the house lights on, yep. and they would play. Fugazi was amazing because they didn't need any frills. Yeah, they didn't even put a set list down. They just no. played. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And every show was different. House lights. White lights. Just yeah. the white, regular roof lights. Yep. That's all they wanted. Because it, he was like, you know, blue style. You get, you know, B.B. King just goes up there with his guitar and, and freaking plays. Yeah. And people lose their freaking minds because it was all about the music. I'd have, I'd have to say Fugazi was probably one of the best bands to ever play Soma. I'm, I'm... Them and Daisy Chainsaw. Daisy Chainsaw, which was complete opposite. When Katie James at freaking Union Street, after being in my station wagon, (laughs) went on stage and she poured that tea kettle of blood with it. She had two bass players, too. Which is one of my things that I did with a few bands. But when she poured that tea kettle of blood... This is before you guys. It was just poured right on her big, huge blonde wig, and she ripped that thing. I think she ripped it off, or at least. In my eyes, it was when she was pouring the blood on her. I think she pulled off the wig because she was bald. Tiny little freaking thing. It reminded me of Sage, who sang with me and poor, who ended up working with uh, Marky Ramon and... um, Jerry only. Jerry only. And she but we'll we'll get to you at another point, Sage. Um but just that show was so theatrical. Daisy Chainsaw. So very English and just nasty, dirty punk rock, just theatrical fucking two bass brilliance. To this day, my favorite show ever. I probably like you know, made it huger in my mind than it really was. But how many, how many times did you see that band? Once. Once? Once. So at least I can say I saw Fugazi many times, and they blew they blew my mind every time I yeah. saw them. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I've seen Bad Religion a million times, and well, not really, but I don't really like to keep following a band and keep, you know, trying to... Because... You know what I was going to say? When bands get older, they lose some of it. And yeah. then you get disappointed. And yeah. that memory gets stuck in your head. And that's all you remember yeah. is that bad show. Right. That's why what I would like to do is when I was doing the shows, because I would see so many repeat bands, as it just got to where I was all about catering for the bands. Yeah. I want to make sure that their experience is good. And I was about the crowd. Because my personal opinions, I'm I'm an opinionated, extremely opinionated, very cynical bastard, and and but you're also respectful, and I want to put point that out. I, I that try to be, and you, I, you I, are. Thank you. For you that. are for sure. But we're, with social media, we're all opinionated. Oh yeah, everybody's talking out of their ass. Oh, it's so. ruined everything. Yeah, don't follow me on social media. Oh my god, <laughs> I. Just, 
I uh, talk hey, about we all have ass. different views, but <laughs> we all get along. That's oh. all that matters. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's find the commonalities, right? That's yeah. what I say. And we don't have to put each other down. I mean, we're men. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. Stop being children. There's so, a lot of children. Out so there. you can put me down on my favorite show. I'm sure you will. Um, the the one that honestly sticks out, and I, this is crazy. I hate that one. Silver chair. No, so I remember that, and I do. Hey, a lot of people said that was an awesome show. They that, were that phenomenal. Was, I don't and like I, them. They were kids, and they were amazing. my age. They were kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah I exactly. was just blown away. And all their parents were there, right? Right. Were all the parents there, or yeah. was it just yeah. two? Or no, it was. I think it was there because they were on tour. They were was on just, yeah. There was three guys right in the band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was the there were uh, the that was Frog Stomp. Show. Their that was their first album. Come out. Yeah. Um, they were doing the Amer- first American tour. So yeah, the whole straight family from, was there. Straight from Australia. And I don't even think I worked at Soma at the time. I'm not sure. No, I think you did because I was working there. I'm okay. And I, yeah. uh, I, 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 yeah, I don't know what it was, but I, I just I remember looking up and seeing this kid my age just belting it out and and i thought the show was amazing i was a fan then but i also knew good music okay mm-hmm. weren't they like the second coming of nirvana yes mm-hmm. i think a lot of people were yes right saying right, that's uh, right. the singer reminded reminded everybody Absolutely. of Kurt Cobain, and i was so. i was a huge grunge grudge grunge fan uh you know this i loved alice in chains i loved uh, nirvana of course pearl jam soundgarden that was all my stuff before i started listening to punk rock at soma but I thought the Silver Chair show was amazing. I thought I thought he belted it out. Three men or three boys um, just just killed it. So that was that, that was, was one, of, one one that stood out to me because I could look up and see you know someone my age just rocking it the fuck well, what, out. What you right. consider you're talking about punk rock and grunge. What you consider grunge was actually punk rock that was moving more towards heavy rock. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a transition for sure, like transitional, if if I may. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that silver chair I think was that put up there. And then, but I me, mean, I was more of a pop guy. You know, I enjoyed the Weezer right. shows and shit like that. You know, sixteen years old in high school, loving the stuff that came through that was on the radio. Like I, to, to be having that opportunity at that time in my life to see that quality of bands, and not to mention shitty quality bands too. Well, the, you know what was crazy was we were getting all the big radio bands at yeah. that time. The ninety one right. shows, all the hit bands that you know, even one hit. Or, or, you know, triple platinum album, whatever, one hit wonder. They were all coming through somewhere. Yeah. Right. 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 It, was, it was a place. We see, that's the crazy thing is we went from being the, the freaking Thunderdome to the place where bands wanted to play. Yeah. And again, it goes back into which we're going to have to really dive in deep. We're going to have to bring in some people that helped make that happen. You know what I think it was? Was it being the fact that it was an all ages venue? Yeah, I think a lot of that helped a lot. A lot of uh, and the city embraced it enough to deal with it. A lot of bands wanted to play in front of an all ages audience. They didn't want to be stuck with a bar scene. They didn't want to do bar shows. Right. They want energy. Totally, and that's what the youth brings, right. and that's what that's what we brought then. So it was a it was it was a really exciting time in my life. It was definitely the foundation of me uh, in the music scene, um, and you know. Now, I mean, looking back, it was the foundation of everything for me to what I've become to this day. I mean, I owe it to you guys in that scene. Mm. It was it was very, very powerful, and I, I could not have timed it more perfect because I saw it at its height. I, I feel like that. And yeah, that's well, that's how I feel, and I'm sure Jeremy feels that way too. Yeah. Is that, is I'm, that, I'm more curious than anything is, like, at what point, like, what age did you realize, okay, this is something I'm going to pursue because – you know, you go through 16, 17, 18, 19, and then, you know, 
Well, when I was a kid, you know, and things are way different back then. But, I was your you age. Know, <laughs> I was running with dinosaurs. No. So, you know, you reach a point where you're like, okay, um, you kind of make a life choice whether you know it or not. Like, this is something that I'm going to continue doing or this is – I'm, I'm going to go a different direction. But when, you know, we reconnected and I found out that, that you stuck with the music business, I was – I'm I'm still I'm I'm blown away. I you should be proud because you're I, the one that put me on this path. But you're you the one me, that did all the work. So I I mean I appreciate I, it and I love you to death. If you, you didn't, didn't show up and you didn't want to do it, right? He wouldn't have been there. Well, you, the thing is, is that I got a taste of the juice, mm-hmm. and 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 not just not just uh, like I get a kick out of the production. I love it. I love that. There's juice from that, but then there's right. also performance juice. Right. And right. I played in two bands. I played at Soma, mm-hmm. and that changed it for me. I um, it yeah, I had a good time playing the band stuff, but yeah, I specifically you pretty much got totally involved. All because I mean you're you the had whole, the full aspect exactly. And the days you that had I played, your way out, and you didn't get out of it. Right. You know what I mean? I don't think, I don't yeah. think any of us got you, out of it. I you mean, had your way out. If you think about it. No, I got it, out of it. Yeah, but you wouldn't be here now. It's still in your blood. It's, it's totally in, blood. in my blood. I mean, I have the opportunity to sit with you two guys and and talk about. But you still do your band thing, too. I mean, well, yeah, that's. It's, oh, God, out, it's in your blood, man. We, we can't go through my band. My band. But, but I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I could go back to, to <laughs> one specific guys. point. One specific point in time that, that changed my path. <laughs> You were, but it was, um, <laughs> it was a Foo Fighters show. Right. Um, they had, uh, they had just formed, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Uh, was it Mike Watt that opened up for him? I don't recall. Oh, damn. I thought it was Shudder the Think. It could have been. I don't remember. I don't I remember who was, the opener I think it was, was Shudder the Think that opened for him. I thought it was amazing, whoever it was. Um, but the whole time I, ju- I jumped up there, uh, I was, I was standing, um, I, I, okay. I wore cargo shorts. I, I, when I got in, I got, I got there early. I ran to the water bar, put in um, water bottles in each pocket, um, ran up. And I'm pretty sure it didn't work at Soma at the time because I'm pretty sure I bought a ticket. Um, but, I, again, I'm not really sure on the dates. But I ran up on the rail, and I was um, – I got up pr- pretty far. You were working there. Was I working there? Yeah, because I was working there. Okay. Then maybe I was working. Maybe this was just my day off or something. But I, but I got up to the rail, and I was in front of Pat uh, – not Pat Kim, Pat Smear. Yeah. And the whole time I'm yelling at him, give me your pick, give me your pick. And, you know, he's messing with me like I'm using it. And it's just amazing that, <laughs> that I could actually have this interaction with the rock god. You know, yes. again, I was heavy, yes. heavy into Nirvana yes. in the previous year. So I'm just like, you, oh, my God. Were you heavy into the germs? Uh, no, actually. I still have an I, old germ shirt from. I, I should have dabbled more in the germs, but this is all the germ I can handle. <laughs> but, <laughs> But so, so they no left, has nothing they, to do with that. They left the stage. They left the stage. And, of course, mm-hmm. they're going to come out and do an encore. And everyone's cheering, going crazy. And Pat Kim's the first – or Pat Kim. Pat Smear is the first person mm-hmm. to come hey, we, out. We love PK, too. Love yeah. PK. Uh, he, hopefully he's so going to listen to this and love it. Um, but Pat Smear walked out with his freaking pick. And he hit, went straight to me and handed me the pick. And everyone's trying to get the pick. And he's like – dodging people and he gives yeah. it to me that was my pick of destiny yeah, he I st- rules i still have that pick 
And I told myself from that moment yeah. on that no matter what I did, either I was going to be the one giving the pick or I was going to be the one producing the show or the event. That's amazing. That gives that kind of power that's to so somebody. Right. And, and if you remember that night, he no, was I got the, goosebumps. If you I know. That's, from, I'm, if you remember from that night, he was the nicest guy in the band. Such yeah. a sweetheart. Yeah. Dave was cool, too. It's, uh, we have a, a piece of Dave's um, band equipment that I got from DDA. So I'll drop names. Sub Society. Um, what was that other one? Uh, Furious Four. Furious Four and, and my old roommate and Piercer. And we're not going to talk about the things he touched. Or pierced? Should I say that? <laughs> Did that just get weird? Yeah, that got a little weird. I like, well, the, I like the silence. Of course after. it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but, um, I mean, this no, we, we have a piece of, um, we have a piece of, uh, my wife plays a piece of what Dave left when he was with Scream at the old song. What did he leave? And, um, it's either the hi hat or something, or she's one of his drum. No, he's yeah. on the drum kit. No, she. Yeah, is. from when he was at the uh, band Scream for Nirvana. Um, because Scream was another band that played um, down in the dungeon. Um, one of the very, very few shows before I had, I had started at Soma. But you know, stories we had, we got a billion of them, and we, we will keep telling them. And this is a. Uh, we're, we're, what, Some Alive, Union and Metro. Yeah. I'm Jerem. That's Mikey. That's Jerry. That's Jerry. All right. This podcast was recorded at SGM Studio, the home of Sleeping Giant Music. It was also mixed and mastered by our friends at distinctmastering.com. Music provided by Break Anchor. Please like us, follow us, subscribe to us, find us. Thank you. <laughs>